0: Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode number 17. I'm your host, Derek Moore, and today we're going to be talking about the Federal Reserve and interest rates. What is going on there? What does it mean? Who makes those decisions? What is that rate even referring to? And I've been getting a lot of questions about this whole notion, people on CNBC talking about the probability of future rate hikes or decreases in rates. And so I'll sort of explain that. I'll, of course, link to a number of things to help you out with that. So without further uh, delay or ado, let's talk about the Fed. So the Federal Reserve, uh, when you hear about the Fed and you hear about these meetings that they have, you're really talking about the FOMC or the Federal Open Market Committee. And so that committee is made up of the Federal Reserve, the Board of Governors, and there's seven of those and each governor generally i believe the term is something like 14 years and but the board of governors is part of that larger policy making committee and that's the FOMC and the FOMC has 12 members and the way that it sort of works is you've got the board of governors and then you've also have some of the the rotating uh bank presidents. So there's actually, the U.S. is divided into 12 Federal Reserve districts. They each have a district bank. And so you've got a rotating amount of voting members. And by the way, everyone everyone sits, even the non-voting members, they go to the meetings and they participate, uh, at least according to the Fed. Uh, But that is who this 12-member committee is who votes and decides whether to raise rates, lower rates, keep them the same, and then any number of things. And so We'll talk about really what what they do, but we'll quickly get into uh, what uh, you know you're hearing as far as these probabilities and where to find that and how that sort of works, right? So you know the Federal Reserve was created in early 1900s and, and really, you know they claim the the mandate is this dual mandate of keeping inflation uh, in check or at a certain level, and also employment. And so they want to have a, a right rate of employment. And they want to sort of, at least more recently, they they want to uh, tame interest rates or should I say inflation. And there's a couple of things that they do. They control the money supply. Uh, they also serve as, you know, the federal government's banker. And we'll talk about that a little bit. And they can also lend to banks as sort of the, the lender of last resort. And one thing, uh, one misconception that I often hear about the Federal Reserve is that they have something to do with, with tax rates. They do not. Congress, uh, not the Federal Reserve, determines tax rates. Uh, although, you know, typically when you see, uh, in this case, the president of the Fed is uh, Jerome Powell, you'll see him testify in front of Congress and they will ask him all sorts of questions about not only the Fed policy, but also fiscal policy or tax policy. But the Federal Reserve has nothing to do With tax policy. And so, what exactly do they do? Well, of course, the one that is the obvious is they decide to raise or lower or keep constant uh, the Fed funds rate. And we'll get into what that means. They could also do something called an open market operation, and that's really just buying and selling bonds. We've heard a lot of talk and discussion about how they've increased the balance sheet and they bought a lot of bonds and increased that balance sheet post the, the Great Recession and financial crisis, 2008, 2009. Uh, but you know, open market committee things, they can raise and in lower interest rates, they can buy bonds, they can sell bonds. And they can also change something, uh, the bank's reserve ratio. So a lot of people don't realize that you know, banks, if you make a deposit on a bank, the current reserve requirement is 10%. And essentially what that means is, let's say somebody walks into a bank and they deposit a $100,000 check. Well, the bank is required to keep on hand 10% of that or $10,000. And in that instance, in that example, they can loan out 90% of that. So they could say, hey, we're going to do a loan, loan out 90% of that money for something else. And then that's called the money multiplier. And so uh, basically, let's say that ninety thousand goes to fund some purchase. Uh, that purchase uh, price gets deposited in another bank. Well, then they have to keep ten percent or of um, the ninety thousand, which is nine thousand. So then they can loan out eighty-one thousand. It sort of continues on and on until they can't lend anymore. And so that's uh, that's one of the things that banks or the Federal Reserve can change, and that's the required reserve ratio of or percentage of deposits on hand. And so whenever we hear about the interest rate component, though, uh, we always hear about the Fed funds rate, we also hear about the discount rate, and then there's this thing since 2008, the IOER, or Interest on Excess Reserves. And so uh, interest rates that commercial banks can borrow from one another, um, and that rate is the federal funds rate. So the federal funds rate is the interest rate that commercial banks can borrow from one another. And the discount rate is when, is really what it charges or the Fed charges to lend out reserves to commercial banks. And so generally banks would borrow from one another, and that's done the Fed funds rate. But if the Fed, if they went to the the discount window or the discount rate and they wanted to borrow money from the Fed, that's the rate the Federal Reserve charges. This interest on excess reserves or IOER. So think about it this way. Banks can borrow from one another. Banks can borrow from the Fed. Banks can also park excess reserves. Remember, they have that reserve ratio. In this case, uh, typically, it's, you know, it's 10% right now. They can take those reserves. They can loan out the money. They can do other things with it. Or they could put it on deposit with the Federal Reserve. And the Federal Reserve will actually pay the banks an interest rate on the excess reserves parked there. And so- that's generally what you're, you're hearing. And when we think about the FOMC or the Open Market Committee, They, what they're doing is by raising or lowering uh, you know, interest rates, by buying or selling government bonds in the open market, by changing the reserve uh, requirement or the percent re- reserve requirement ratio, what they're trying to do is either increase or decrease the money supply. And so the idea is that, and part of this goes to, you know, when when we see, let's say, inflation creep up or things get overheated, uh, or, you know, quote unquote, I'll say, uh, the Fed may raise interest rates to, let's say, decrease the money supply to sort of cool things off and try and tame inflation. Of course, after 2008, 2009, what we saw is them lowering interest rates pretty much to zero, an unheard of thing. And what they were trying to do is increase the money supply. And they not only decrease rates, they also increased the Fed's balance sheet, meaning they bought uh, bonds, government bonds. They also bought some, some, uh, some mortgage-backed uh, securities as well. And so that was all designed to increase the money supply, to put more money out into the economy and hopefully get things going. And so real quick to kind of put a bow on whether the Fed is increasing or decreasing decreasing money supply, uh, we would say that the things that increase money supply, lowering the Fed funds rate or the discount rate, buying government bonds in the open market, or they could decrease the bank reserve ratio percentage. Things that would decrease the money supply. So think about it this way. Um, Inflation's going up, and they want to try and tame the, the economy and tame prices, right? And so they could increase the Fed funds rate or the discount rate. Uh, Generally, when we say, hey, the Fed is raising or lowering interest rates, they could sell government bonds in the open market, they could increase the bank reserve ratio. So they can do all those types of things. And there's a lot of debate about whether what the Fed does, you know, leads to these sort of boom and bust cycles and and these periods where, you know, certainly leading up to uh, 2008, we saw the housing crisis or the, the housing collapse in prices. And a lot of people pointed to the Fed keeping interest rates too low for too long. A lot of people right now talking about the fact we've had zero rates for so long. And um, now that the Fed is increasing rates, it's, it's a little bit tough to, uh, to stomach. And so a lot of people watching and trying to figure out what the Fed's going to do. And there's a couple of ways that, that people do that. The first is following all of these economic indicators. So people look at things like inflation and if inflation were to creep up or, or start to move higher, the Fed might react by rising or raising sorry raising interest rates uh, to try and decrease the money supply, sort of cool things off, right? And the inverse might happen the other way. Things like unemployment, things like GDP growth, you know, all these economic indicators sort of give the the FOMC or the Federal Reserve this idea of what's going on with the economy. And so people watch all of those economic indicators. The other thing that people are watching, and if you watch CNBC or if you watch Fox Business or Bloomberg Television, although it's getting tougher and tougher to watch Bloomberg Television, I think you can watch it online. The problem with watching it online, by the way, is they don't have the market data. Anyway, that's just an aside. But I'll link to this thing. It's from the, the CME Group, uh, Chicago Mercantile Exchange, And what they do is they very nicely show you what the probability based upon how the Fed Fund's futures contracts are trading. And they tell you they have some calculations they do to to basically come up with probabilities of where rates will be. Okay, so a couple things here. I'll sort of explain this, make it a little easier to understand. I'll, of course, link to the, the page that you can go on here. And so when we say the, the Fed funds rate, it used to be that they would have, let's say, a Fed funds rate. They would say, OK, we're going to target the Fed funds rate to be, I'll throw out a number, 2.25%. And so that was your Fed funds rate. Well, I forget it was a couple of years ago at least. Uh, it's probably more than a couple of years ago. But they stopped using a single Fed funds target. And now what they do is they have a range. And so currently, the range is 225 to 250. You might say, "Well, wait a second, interest rates are not 225%. The way that you describe interest rates is in basis points. And so I'll explain that. Let's say you went from 2% to 2.25%. You would say, well, that's a quarter point increase. And it went up 0.25 of 1%, right? But the way that... that People in the markets look at that. They say that's a 25 basis point increase. And so, if rates went from 2.00 to 2.01, you would say that's a one basis point increase. And so, when I say the the target is 2.25 to 2.50, it's 225 basis points to 250 basis points, which is 2.25% uh, to 2.5%. So, two and a quarter to two and a half percent. All right. Well. We've got uh, these futures markets. And the way that futures work is for a market, there is a futures contract. Uh, typically, it's a, either a monthly contract or sometimes they skip a month. And what that does is, well, okay, so Fed funds futures. Essentially, there is a futures contract that could go up or down. So someone, let's say, trying to, uh, to do an investment and they want to try and make a a bet or a prediction or a uh, a calculation that Fed funds will move up or down. They might buy or sell a futures contract. Meaning, buy they think it's uh, you know it's going to go one way or sell the other. But I'll give an example. So for the January of 2019 contract, the current price is 97.6013. And you might say, well, what does that really tell me about? where interest rates are. Well, the way to read that, and they assume sort of a zero boundary, meaning interest rates can't go below a zero. But um, although we know that in some countries in Europe and certainly Japan, uh, well anyway, that's another discussion. But what you do is you take a hundred minus that price. And if you do that, if you take a hundred minus ninety-seven point six oh one three, remember this is the price as we're doing this, so that we're We're seeing the current futures price for the January contract. Uh, That tells us the difference is 2.3987 or about 2.40. And that happens to be the effective Fed funds rate is 240. So that is between the 225 to 250 target range that they're doing. And so the meeting, and and by the way, the the Fed meetings, and I'll talk a little bit about the meetings, but there's a meeting in January on January 30th. There's one March, March 20th. Uh, They tend to be, you know, every other month. Um, And then there's usually a December one and a a January one sort of back to back, although there's a May and a June, but I'll get to the schedule. And so when you look at that and you say, well, uh, the effective funds rate we know is about 240, that's what the futures uh, contract is implying. And that's within the boundary of the range. And so if you look on, and I'll link to this site, it's a CME and it's the, uh, the the probabilities tool, um, they're saying there's a 97.3 percent probability that the rate remains unchanged, unchanged, and so that contract for the January month would seem to imply that, and you know certainly the the one for February as well, because there's not um, it it may expire prior to the meeting, but generally um, it's it's implying a Fed funds of 240, and so. The probability, it used to be a little bit easier to do and they've gotten more savvy. But if you think about it this way, if you know what the effective funds rate is, so let's say your effective funds rate was 2%. And then you looked at a, a month, let's say, you know, you pulled September of 2019. I'm, I'm making up some hypothetical numbers to show you sort of the back end of the napkin calculation, the way that I first learned it. But let's say if your effective funds rate was 2% and the implied Fed funds rate based upon a futures price um, for some month in the future was 2.20, so 2.2% versus 2%, well, that's implying there's a 20 basis point difference, right, 2.00 to 220 and so the probability, sort of the, the old way that I learned it was you take the 20 uh, basis points divided by 25, which is a quarter point increase, and there'd be about an 80% probability. The CME site uh, has a more involved calculation, um, and they're dealing with the, the difference between the, the bands now, right? We saw instead of the Fed funds rate. Um, and so I'll link to that. But just to give you an idea... You know, there's a 97% chance, a little more than 97% chance uh, there's no change at the January 30th meeting. Um, and then you go, let's say, to September, there's a 65% chance that it stays the same. There's a almost a 29% chance that they, they lower by a quarter point. So these are always going to be updated, and it depends on what the market's doing. Um, interestingly enough, the of late, and again, this, this changes, this could change tomorrow, but they're saying that the January 29 of 2020, so pretty much uh, a little more than a year, the probability, there's a higher probability, 39.5% of a quarter point lowering versus 38.8% of rates being unchanged. And then there's some percentages for something even lower than that. And so, I'll link to that. You can take a look at it. But basically, the idea is that these Fed funds futures contracts are a way of market participants sort of putting um, putting their money where they're well, not where their mouth is, but you know, putting putting money. Or you know, sometimes they could be hedging, uh, but it, it's just ways of sort of gauge how the futures market is theoretically pricing in expectations of future rates. So, as far as meanings... The way that they've been doing it is – so there's looking at the 2019 calendar. There's a meeting January 29th to 30th. The second day is when they come out, um, if there's any sort of announcement. There's one in March, March 19th to 20th, and then the April, sort of May. It sort of straddles the end of April and early May. June, July, September, October, December, and then there's another one in January in 2020. And they've – Chairman Powell has indicated they might change this, but it was a little bit unusual for them. So not every meeting has a press conference attached. And so, for example, the January one does not. The March one is scheduled to have a press conference. And generally the thought has been they haven't been making rate announcements or changes to rates in non-press conference meetings. And so, but I have heard some talk about uh, Chairman Powell saying maybe let's just do a press conference after every meeting, and maybe that you know the thought is at least by the the pundits on TV, maybe they they want a little more flexibility as far as uh, you know as far as when they do these, but they're not bound by doing them only at press conferences. But it's uh, it's generally been the thing, and then of course they can meet outside of a meeting. They did that, I believe, in 2008 or 2009 around the financial crisis. And they can sort of decide what to, uh, to do there. So why are interest rates important? Why do people care about them? Well, there's a couple reasons. The, the first is if you've got an economy that's doing really well and you've got robust economic activity, great GDP, gross domestic product growth, in theory, you might see an uptick in inflation, and raising rates might actually be uh, perceived by some people as good because it's a response to this this economy that's really working well. The other side of it is if people perceive that the economy is going to stall and needs a little bit of juicing and some easing of the money, you know, the money supply, increase in the money supply, right, uh, might be perceived to be lowering rates. And so a lot of this has to do with the economy and generally and most people are long markets and so they want the markets to go up. But the other reason why interest rates are so important, well, it's a couple of things. There's this thing called the present value of, of a future payment in finance. And so think about it this way. If if you had $100,000 to invest and you said, well, I could get let's say it's 3% right now, the risk-free rate, meaning the rate for a, a one-year treasury bond. You might say, okay, I could go and I could make an investment in this business and I'll get a return of you know 3.25%, uh, but there's risk there. So I'll just take the risk-free rate. And one of the things that lowering interest rates did, especially when they lowered them so low, uh, to nearly zero, essentially, is that the the rate, the required rate of return on an investment, was lowered because interest rates or the risk free rate was so low that the expected returns that were needed by investors also lowered. And so, in theory, you know, when you've got really low rates, uh, capital is more apt to um, to go into projects um, that. That don't quite yield as much. Now, if interest rates go up, then the required rate of return goes up. But the other thing with regards to the stock market is that really a stock's, you know, and I say, I'm, I'm, if you could see me, I'm doing air quotes, but a stock's price or, uh, should I say, value is theoretically based upon the future, the expected future earnings discounted down to the present value. And so if, let's say, interest rates were 10% and a company's going to earn X amount of earnings over the next year, well, discounting down by 10%, uh, with a discount rate of 10%, reduces the value of those earnings down more than, let's say, if if the discount rate or the the risk-free rate is 1%. Meaning the higher interest rates are, the less future earnings are worth. And theoretically, that impacts the value of stock. And we all know that, a um, valuation on a stock is different than a, the price that a stock trades at. Price can be a symptom of you know supply and demand, buyers and sellers. But that's, that's one of the reasons why people are sort of concerned or interested, should I say, on interest rates. Because it, it also affects how you deal with future earnings. Of course, companies, even if rates go up, companies' earnings could go up as well. And that would outstrip or or negate the negative effects of rising rates. Uh, but certainly that's one of the things to to keep in mind. So when you hear the Federal Reserve and you hear these market pundits on CNBC and Fox Business and Bloomberg talking about, well, you know, uh, the Fed futures are only pricing in and uh, a 40% uh, chance of a 25 basis point increase. Now you're going to know what that they're talking about. And so in the links in the description I will link to the Chicago uh, Mercantile Exchange or the CME uh, their page on probabilities. And so if you go there, you can see what the probabilities are. And the other thing that they have on that site is they have what's called the dot plot. And so in those meetings, a couple of those meetings what the the FOMC members do is they give their prediction on what they think interest rates are going to be at, you know, a year out, 2 years out, 3 years out or different periods, um, all different periods. And they come up with this graph and they make a dot. And so if you look on it, you'll see when you look on it that, uh, let's say, if if the current interest rate is 225 to 250, well, if they think they're going to go up by 25 basis points at the end of the year, the dots might indicate, you know, okay, well, then it's uh, 250 to, to 275. Or if it go, if they think they're going to go down, it'll be down or stay the same. And so the, the interesting thing, though, is I did this and I did an article, maybe I'll do another one, uh, looking back at the dot plots, meaning the the FOMC uh, committee members' expectation of future rates, where they'll be, and, you know, in 13 and 12, 12, 13, 14, they all believe rates would be much higher, and that didn't turn out to be the case. So... Uh, now, take, take the dot plots, as they call them, with a, a grain of salt. But they've got, uh, they've got the dot plots there, which is the expectations. They've got the probabilities. And you can also see the Fed Fund's futures. And remember, you take 100 minus the Fed Fund's future value for the corresponding month and year. And that tells you what the market is effectively pricing in for what the average effective Fed Fund's rate will be during the year. And of course, the Fed funds rate um, really is the rate that's watched by everybody. And and it also has to do with, you know, changes how uh, it kind of bleeds in, as do treasury rates with not only what you pay for an auto loan, a home loan, but also how investors or analysts deal with future earnings. So hopefully, I gave you an idea of the importance or why people find it so important, what the heck they're talking about with these probabilities and where to find them. All right, folks, we'll be back next week with another episode and uh, hope everyone has a good week.